0: A little over 100 years ago, the world was in the grip of the worst recorded pandemic in human history. The 1918 influenza outbreak killed over 50 million people worldwide, and was responsible for reducing life expectancy in the US alone by more than 12 years.
1: To tackle this virulent virus, public health orders were issued with new disease prevention methods used for the first time, such as social distancing, school and restaurant closures and mask wearing.
0: Many of these might sound familiar as some of the same methodologies were employed to deal with the very recent Covid-19 pandemic, which has to date killed over 6.3 million people since it was first discovered in January 2020.
1: Although we now have the benefit of massive advances in medical science to create a global vaccination programme that saved millions if not billions of lives, some strategies have not moved on at all.
0: Strategies such as the process for disinfection of indoor spaces. In fact, it was the same companies as today, advertising their disinfecting products back in 1918, and our approach to disinfecting by dousing areas and chemicals hasn't really changed at all.
1: One company in the US is working to change that.
2: It's just one of those industries that has been void of, of innovation and is ripe for disruption, and so we're here to drive that change. In the hundred years that we've been using chemicals to fight infections, we've sent people to the moon, we've invented the internet, we've seen the proliferation of self-driving cars, but like we're still using archaic chemicals. And so we need a, a new standard. We we need to improve. And the technology exists to be able to do that.
0: Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher,
1: and I'm Jane Sophia.
0: In this episode, we're speaking with a startup, the autonomous disinfection company R Zero, to explore how UV light could revolutionise the approach to disinfecting indoor spaces.
1: Grant Morgan, the CEO and co-founder of R Zero, explains how they went from an idea to delivering their first product in just five months, in the middle of the pandemic.
0: We'll also hear about the history and science of UV disinfection technology and the engineering challenges that R0 had to overcome.
1: And we'll explore why Grant so passionately believes that UV is the future for disinfection.
0: R0 was started in early 2020 in direct response to the pandemic.
2: I I didn't know nearly anything about UV, call it two and a half years ago.
0: UVC is ultraviolet light wavelength C which is a subtype of ultraviolet light between 200 and 280 nanometers in wavelength.
2: And as the story goes, it was the beginning of the pandemic and my co-founders and I were kind of watching the world fall apart, witnessing the loss of human lives on a global scale. and And then also the economic devastation that was happening as well. And so we felt compelled to jump in and do something to help.
0: Because, as far as he sees it, the need will only increase.
2: Here in the United States, about 40 million Americans get the flu every year. And somehow we've just accepted that that's normal. And, you know, MRSA or staph infections in the US kill more people annually than Parkinson's, AIDS, emphysema, and murder combined. And uh, and the CDC estimates that uh, sick days and, and chronic illness cost the U.S. economy about $600 billion a year in lost productivity and direct and indirect healthcare-related expenses. So, realized that there was this huge opportunity to fundamentally change the way that that we keep humans safe in indoor spaces.
1: Originally, Grant and his co-founders wanted to create a service platform made up of independent, high-level cleaning and disinfection contractors.
0: But one discovery changed their entire trajectory
2: our chief scientist who i knew from a past life and he pointed us at hospitals and we started thinking about you know hey hospitals are effectively as as long as they've existed a, a communal gathering place for the sick and generally speaking if you can walk into a hospital and receive care and walk out you know without catching any of the various different pathogens uh, that you know, exist within those four walls, then they must be doing something right. When they turned over the patient room for the next patient, uh, what they would do is they'd wipe down all the counters and surfaces and everything. But then the last thing they'd do is they'd wheel in this, this giant light tower and they'd run it for seven to 10 minutes. And everything the light touches was disinfected.
1: What Grant and his team didn't know then was that UVC disinfection technology has been around for over a hundred years.
0: The 1903 Nobel Prize was awarded to Niels Finsen for using UVC to treat lupus, and it's been used to treat wastewater since the 1910s.
1: And the technology was already being used to disinfect hospitals, despite the fact that it costs hospitals up to $125,000 per UVC machine.
2: But being a mechanical engineer, I looked at these devices, and I'm like, hold on, like that's just a light bulb on wheels with a timer. There's no way it can cost that much to make. And so I I sort of went full mad scientist and and uh, kind of reverse engineered it, did a whole bunch of research and figured out that we could make one for significantly less. And so I called one of my co-founders back and I said, hey Ben, you're gonna think I'm nuts, but uh, we're building lights. And he's like, yeah, you're crazy, but Uh, But I'm in.
0: So Grant Morgan set about reverse engineering a disinfecting UVC machine.
1: And the first step was to understand exactly how UVC disinfects.
2: The biggest benefit was, like I said, the the giant body of evidence uh, that exists around UV. It's over 100 years old, so there's a whole bunch of documentation and, and it's well studied, well understood the light bulbs that produce UVC fundamentally are the same exact light bulbs that are in the ceiling, the fluorescent light bulbs that are mercury are based in your ceiling with one exception. The bulbs in your ceiling are dipped in uh, like a phosphorus, a white phosphorus coating. And the way it works is when you run uh, run power through the light bulb, there's filaments at the end. And so you strike an arc and that 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 energy that you're running through vaporizes the mercury. And so you create this mercury gas, and there's you know, some nominal pressure within the tube. And when the conditions are right, that mercury gas ionizes. And it's a physical property of mercury to ionize uh, and throw off light at a s- very specific wavelength. Um, and it happens to be 254 nanometers.
1: There is a good reason why mercury-based light bulbs are dipped in a coating. The coating blocks the UVC wavelength from being emitted, Which is important, as UV at a wavelength of 254 nanometers is very dangerous if it comes into contact with human eyes and skin.
0: That's why all UVC disinfectors must be used in empty rooms. As soon as the light is turned off, the air and surfaces in the room are completely
2: safe.
1: And although it technically doesn't kill any viruses or bacteria, it does leave the room disinfected.
2: So that that light happens to be at, essentially it's at the resonant frequency of of the bonds in uh, DNA and RNA. And what it does is it creates what are called thymine dimers. And all that means is it's basically in a, it bonds to adjacent uh, nucleotides in a DNA or RNA sequence, it bonds them together. And if you think about it, if you, if you think about biology and the way that, or that cells replicate and that, you know, the DNA or RNA replication process works, it's kind of like a zipper, like the DNA, the helix will unzip and then there's, you know, it'll copy the sequence and, and replicate it. So when you have a, a dimer and those two adjacent bonds, it disrupts the, the, the process of copying the DNA sequence or the RNA sequence. And so effectively what it's doing is UVC is actually not killing anything it's actually inactivating things. It's rendering them incapable of A, reproducing, and rendering the microorganisms incapable of infecting or harming humans as well.
0: Grant says the process of deactivating microorganisms rather than killing them is actually a huge advantage UVC has over chemical disinfection methods, because there can be no antimicrobial resistance.
2: It really comes back, since all works based off of physical properties, it's 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 physics. Um, so unless the laws of physics change, uh, UVC will always be effective against really any kind of microorganism. There is no UVC resistant microorganism on the planet. So as long as DNA and RNA stay the way that they you know they the, the way that they are which is you know our full our understanding of life um, uh, and as long as the laws of physics don't change, then UVC should theoretically be able to inactivate any kind of virus, bacteria mold or fungi that will ever exist.
1: Grant and his team spent months dealing with COVID supply chain problems while they tried to put together a prototype, but they managed to get it done.
2: We had to make some, some decisions uh, uh, that were relatively risky in order to move as quickly as we did. And when we, you know, it just so happens we got more of them right than we did wrong. But, you know, end to end, we designed, developed, manufactured and brought to market ARC in five months and we're really proud of that not just because of the 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 rate of progress and the speed of execution but also because it is objectively the most powerful and efficacious product on the market period and uh, you know we output 30 to 60 percent more light than the you know the 125 thousand dollar devices sold into hospitals but we're you know uh, an order of magnitude less expensive
0: and so, R Zero's first product, the Arc, was created and immediately started finding its way into hospitals and schools.
1: But Grant wanted to make sure the Arc was more accessible than the UVC disinfectors that had come before.
2: First thing we did is we just were offering the the device at a at a price point that's that's fair and based on how much it costs to make and how much you know how much we need to make to run the business. And so that's the first aspect of it. The second is you know, to the plight of my my CFO, we spun up two business models. And so, you know, wanted to, uh, uh, you know, the, the, they're not cheap. Um, they're on the order of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars still. But a lot of schools or, or restaurants or, you know, these economically devastated businesses or organizations didn't have a lot of cash, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So we started offering a, basically a hardware as a service model. And it was a lease. So for about $17 a day, You can have unlimited use of of ARC throughout your facility. And so that made it more accessible as well.
0: As we've already mentioned, there is a drawback to UVC disinfection, and that is UVC's danger to humans.
1: The simple workaround is it's only used when no one's in the room.
0: However, Grant wants more for R0 than just for hospitals when they turn over rooms. He wants the company's machines to be a solution for all indoor viral transmissions.
1: That includes illness spreading from person to person in an office or a school or any other populated indoor space.
2: And so now what we're seeing is really COVID has opened our eyes to, as a society, to really how vulnerable we are in indoor spaces. And I think we're seeing the the beginning phases of like the healthy buildings movement. And so, where I'm going with this is is I think just like the green buildings movement, I think you're going to see building code adapt and require or contemplate at least um, you know devices like ours, or or at least you know the indoor air quality or the health and safety of that space. And you're going to see government regulations and, and funding or or economic incentives to improve the health and safety of your building as well.
0: So next, R0 wanted to create a UV disinfectant that can be used in a room full of people to create a continuously disinfected environment.
1: The first of those products they released was Beam.
2: Which is an upper room UV, UVGI device. So you mount it to a wall, it's LED powered, and it creates a beam of UVC across the top of the room where people don't interact with it. And it leverages the natural convective currents that occur in a room when you breathe. Um, you know, When you're breathing out, that air is contaminated if you're sick, and it's also hot. So it'll naturally rise to the top of the room into that disinfection zone where it's treated. And by the time it cools and comes back down to the room, it's safe to breathe. And beam is LED-powered rather than using mercury bulbs. We buy LEDs that produce light at 265 nanometers, as opposed to the 254 produced by the mercury bulbs. 265 actually has it is, is closer to the, to the true resonant frequency of those, uh, of those nucleotides in DNA and RNA. So the 265 nanometer wavelength is actually about 30% more efficient than the 254.
1: Next, they worked on creating a product with a UV of a new wavelength, one that is safe for humans.
2: So the human-safe one is a novel form of UVC called far-UV. And so it's a shorter wavelength, it's, it's 222 nanometers in wavelength. And the unique property that really makes far UV special is that, that it is harmful to pathogens, just like other UVC light, but it is not harmful to humans. And the mechanism is actually pretty simple. The mechanism makes it safe. It's, it really just has to do with the fact that the shorter wavelength light doesn't have enough energy to penetrate the top layer of human skin.
0: A study done using the R0's far-UV disinfectant, which is called Vive, determined that 30,000 hours of exposure to the Vive is equivalent to 10 minutes of exposure to sunlight.
1: All R0 products come with a software system that provides the user with all the data on what the device is doing. And Grant Morgan wants to take this further by building a machine learning-based predictive model.
2: Fundamentally, like, we know how people get sick. We know how diseases spread. It's air surfaces or person to person transmission. And there are entire fields of study around, uh, around, you know, these, these mechanics of transmission. So it's, you know, physics and epidemiology, like we know how diseases spread. You can mathematically model those things. And so what we started with was basically a statistical model of, of the mechanics of, of disease transmission. And then we layered on some computational fluid dynamics to account for you know airflow throughout a space. And then we've wrapped it in a machine learning uh, outer layer to make it more and more predictive. And so what it allows us to do is basically walk into any physical space, collect some basic attributes about that space. So what's the size and the shape of it? How many people are typically in it? For how long? Where does the traffic flow? Where's the population density high? What are the ventilation characteristics? Things like that. And we plug those inputs into our risk model and we actually can spit out a, a, a quantified percentage likelihood of one or more people getting infected in that space under those exact conditions.
0: Now they can produce a digital twin of the room and use the inputs to predict the risk of infection people have in that room. And then they can add R0 products into the digital twin and get a new prediction for the risk of infection.
2: And so you get this delta, this, you know, you may go from 70% risk of infection to maybe 12. And that reduction in risk correlates with a reduction in sick days. And so, you know, in a number of years from now, uh, you know, two or three, if I have my way, but I don't know if my engineering team would agree with that. um, uh, I actually don't want to be selling a product or a suite of products. I actually want to be selling a reduction in sick days. And this is a fundamentally new way of of thinking about risk reduction
0: Using sensors put in throughout an indoor space, R0 wants to collect data on the environment in that space, such as air quality and circulation.
2: And we're processing that data to identify risk and pinpoint risk. And if we know where the risk exists and the nature of that risk, then we can do something about it. And so what we do is we, we actually, based on the risk that we identify in real time, we'll automatically operate the installed products, you know, in that space in a closed-loop fashion, in an automated fashion, to mitigate that risk in real time. And then we'll show it to you, we'll, we'll analyze it, we'll show you a bunch of data and, and charts and whatnot, and help you see sort of cause and effect. And so the risk model is something we're really proud of. It's the reason Mayo Clinic got excited and, and invested.
1: To measure the efficacy of their predictive tool, R-Zero were using Las Vegas schools as a test case.
0: Four schools will have our zero products put in place and four almost identical schools won't have them in.
2: And what we're doing is we're, we're collecting a whole bunch of data, including wastewater data. And we're measuring you know the, the viral concentration and the prevalence of, of SARS-CoV-2 in that wastewater, which gives us a, a very deterministic like population level view of, of the infection risk and, and what's in that population. But we're also measuring absenteeism and sick days. And so what we're doing is we're taking that outcome data, where we're seeing, you know, reduction in sick days, we're annotating it, turning it into a training data set and feeding it back to the model. But we've run the, the risk model on all of the classrooms and all of the schools that we're, you know, doing this study in and we're predicting what our outcome is going to be. And then we're actually doing the work and studying what the outcome is and then training the, training the model with it.
1: Grant says that the time is ripe for a technical revolution in how indoor spaces are disinfected.
2: I think the table is set and the the, the environment is ripe for a new standard for you know this this fundamental change and improvement. And I think you need, you know, i I believe that you know this important issue should be been managed with the same level of sophistication and technology that exists and we've become accustomed to in virtually every other industry thinking back on it, like there's probably three or four months where I kept thinking like, we've got to be missing something. I can't believe nobody's ever done this before. And like the shoe's going to drop and we're screwed. And sure enough, the shoe never dropped. It's just one of those industries that has been void of, of innovation and is ripe for disruption. And so we're here to drive that change. We, we welcome competition. I, you know, bring it on. I'll put our team against any other team in the world and. You know, competition's good for humans. The more people we have working on how to solve this problem and how to improve the health and safety of, of, of the the indoor spaces that we share, you know, the the better off we'll be, the more healthy we'll we'll, we'll all be. And and, uh, and the space is plenty, plenty big enough. You know, when we're out raising money and talking to investors and they ask what our total addressable market is, I can look them in the eye and I can say literally every indoor space in the entire world. Human health is universal, and humans are an indoor species. And, and I mean it. And uh, I think the world's changing forever in various different ways.
0: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Johnny Dowling, hosted by me, Alex Conacher, co-hosted by Jane Sophia, editing by Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own electromagnetic wave machine is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media.